We do thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We're here to find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There is never a time, a day, a minute that we don't need you, Lord. So we thank you for your constant care over us. We thank you for your covenant of peace and blessing over our lives. We thank you, Lord, for all good things that you bring to us. So we love you and we honor you. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Take over this space. Occupy this sanctuary with your goodness, your presence, your fulfillment, and your love. And we honor you and thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, and amen. So, praise God. Well, this will be a a year like no other year. And I just believe the Lord has that. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. The Lord does have a word for us that this uh, is going to be a year like none other, says the Lord. A year like no other year. It will be marked by total surrender of things that would hinder your walk with me, says the Lord that I I am demanding total surrender, not just from my church and my people, but I am demanding total surrender of all things that I command be let go of, says the Spirit of the Lord. And those who will surrender totally to me will rise up in a surrendered power. The power that I surrender to you will be greater than what you ever give to me, says the Lord. For I am the one who disarms you of the things that would harm you, says the Lord. I only disarm the things that harm, says the Lord. And when I disarm you, Lord, says the Lord, you will find yourself rising up in mighty power, says the Lord. The mighty power that I have for my church will be dispensed to those who will comply with my command of total surrender, says the Spirit of the living God. For what I have for you is not going to be subject to mixture. It will not be adulterated with the whims of man, uh, the dictates of man, the things of the world, the likes of the world, the dislikes of the world, says the Lord. But it will be pure and it will be holy and it will come from above, says the Lord. So with this being a year like no other year, says the Lord, this will be a year of the miraculous. This will be a year of the uh, unshakable, uh, says the Lord. For I am demanding in in this total surrender, I am getting you to trade in your weak faith for my strong faith, says the Lord. I will demand things out of my people that I've never demanded before, says the Lord. You will stand before destruction and you will watch it fall around you, says the Lord, as you rise up in my mighty power. But it comes through total surrender to me, says the Lord. So let this be a marking to you, says the Lord, that this day as you hear my word, you will find yourself growing on the inside, says the Lord. You will find yourself getting bigger on the inside than you have ever been before, says the Spirit of God. And this is my strong man rising up in you, the power of the Holy Spirit, 
that is an overcoming power, and it will cause you to face down giants. It will cause you to subdue enemies. It will cause you to ride upon the high places, says the Spirit of the living God. But it will require something of you, says the Lord. And what I have you give up will not be anything in comparison to what I will release into your life, says the Spirit of the Lord. Things that have troubled you for decades and years, you will get answers to immediately. You will see problems that have come before you time and time again flee at at the sight of the anointing and the power that comes from your word, says the Spirit of God. So understand this, that this is my doing, says the Lord. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. This is my doing, and people will marvel at it, says the Lord. Those who have thought that you were um, a minor player and, and not significant will be at awe, says the Spirit of the living God. But understand that their awe is coming from my Spirit working through you and not from you, says the Lord. And this is where you're marking, says the Lord, that you will understand that you will feel this mighty might and this giant presence come inside of you this day at the hearing of my word, says the Lord. For that is your spirit man, and he is growing according to my will and according to my recommendation in your life, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A year like no other. A year like no other. A year like no other is what I have planned for my people, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen Amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. So we're going to talk today about the power of total surrender. Amen. Amen. Power of total surrender. You know, there are times in our lives, you know, we first came to the Lord, we're so glad to finally have an answer, right? But you know, many times that gladness, you know, oftentimes it is joy. And it is joy the joy that the Lord sends into our lives, but then there are times when uh, that feeling of gladness kind of is more in the flesh after a while than it is in your spirit. And so if it's in the flesh, it's subject to change with circumstances. And so we find that over the years, circumstances begin to change how we feel about everything. And so the challenge becomes to stay on an even keel with God because God never changes. And so we should always maintain the joy of our salvation. But you know and I know that the plans of the enemy are to steal that joy. <clears throat> for some of it, for, for some of us, it can be a, a, a dominant thing. Like for the most part of our lives, we have no joy. Amen. Because we let the natural aspect dominate our thinking. It begins to dominate our plans. The things that, the hopes that we have for the future get dim because we don't know how to stay over in the realm of the spirit and just abide with God 
where everything, where the provision is, provision of uh, things that affect your mood, all of those things are there in the realm of the spirit. And and it's like you think, sometimes you think, I, I used to feel real good about the things of God, and I used to feel real good about my future, real good about my plans, but somehow that's gone now, and, and I tend to struggle, you know. And uh, and this happens to everybody. And and the, the then the challenge becomes not to get things from God, but to live in a place where you have them already. You understand what I'm saying? So then you, you start thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute now. If I can just put myself in that place of total contentment, total joy, total accomplishment, um, then what's the purpose of having things to look forward to? Well, that even tops the joy that you walk in right now. See, if you're fulfilled right now, if there are more good things coming to you, that just adds to your joy. Amen? Jesus said, these things I write to you that your joy might be full. He said, I promised you all these things. You know, whatever you ask for, I'll give it to you. If you ask anything in my name, it's there for you. Amen? And he said, I do that so that your joy may be full. So it's like the difference, I guess, between... Riding on a, a quarter tank of gas, a half tank of gas, a full tank of gas. Jesus wants our joy to be full at all times. So you don't need to turn cart whips and cartwheels and flips all the time. Amen. You can just walk around normal and be a contented person. But then there comes a place where he wants your joy to abound over just your walking around joy. Amen. And he wants it to be full. In other words, he wants you to live in a place where there's nothing lacking to you and you know it. Amen. And and I think that's a place of total surrender. Where you don't have anything you're carrying around that's not kingdom stuff. Amen. Uh, even if it's stuff that you like, that, that you, you possess. Amen. Uh, sometimes we, we get excited about our abilities to do certain things. And and then you think to yourself, now wait a minute, that's not 100% me. God's in that. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes you need to surrender a, a good feeling about yourself for a better feeling <laughs> about yourself. Amen. Because really whatever you feel that's good about you, God can top that. If you let that go and let him show you a higher place in a better way. Amen. Um, uh, I always feel good about healing schools because the atmosphere is so wonderful and and people enjoy the word and I enjoy sharing the word. It's all good. But then afterwards you think about it and say, God, there's, there's some more things I think that we could do with these meetings. There's some more, you know, more people can get healed. Uh, people who are sitting can get up and go out and start laying hands on people, you know. I mean, there's always the more. Amen. So so then you learn how to be full and be hungry. But you can't live in the full full all the time. <clears throat> there has to be a room for a greater hunger to add more to your life. Not only because you want it, but add those things that you don't even know you want. That you may not even know God has in store for you. That, that you may not even see coming, but God has them for you. 
So then there, there's always then that fullness, and then there's the better fullness, and then there's the greater fullness that God has for us. And I think when we surrender totally, we get the greater fullness. I mean, whatever you give to him 100%, he's going to top you. Amen. Uh, he's always got a bigger card to play. I remember when I was a kid and I told you guys about this. We play cards with my father. He beats you up like a man, honey. If you sit down in there play, you go play cards with him. He whoop you like, he said, I whoop you like I ain't your daddy. I said, oh my goodness. <laughs> you, you get so scared them little cards be wet and trembling and you don't want to play no more, you know? But if he didn't have a card to beat you, he acted like he did. Amen. <laughs> and whoop you too. <clears throat> like he wasn't your daddy. <laughs> but I always think about that when, when I think about what God does. You know, he'll always outdo, always superior. You can't tap him out. You can't psych him out. <laughs> Amen. He will always top whatever it is that you you think is good in your life. He can do so much more. So it's it's in that place of understanding that whatever God asks you to surrender, he's got so much more. It's never a loss on your part. See, you may consider it a loss because that's the way you think about things. But I want to challenge you to, to think about it differently now and think about it as a gain. If you set something aside at God's command. Now, we all know we can give up this and give up that. And, you know, I mean, Catholics during Lent tell more lies than they do when it's not Lent. You know what I'm saying? Well, I gave up. Uh, and then the next week, well, yeah, I gave that up then. But, that, but now I got something else I'm giving up. Well, you cheater, you, you ate them M&M's. You was giving up M&M, uh, uh, peanut with dark chocolate. You know you don't even like that. Huh? And so, so we, we do have to be careful, uh, you know, that we allow God to show us the things that we need to walk away from. Amen? You gotta let Him show you. See, the sacrifice is not ordained by us it's ordained by him he determines and god's wise he won't take something from you like gimme gimme i want you to have it what he does is he causes us to surrender things that don't fit in our present and future his pleasant present and future plans for us so he has plans for us that are good all the time, but there are things in us and things about us that we need to let go of so that the greater can come forth. And and when that greater comes forth, it'll blow your mind. I mean, it'll totally mess your head up what God has for you uh, because you love him. And, and you prove your love through the surrender process. Amen. We We've all been through it some. But it's easy to now start to um, try to look out for yourself. Don't get too carried away. Don't let go of too much. You know, that word too in there uh, can be a real killer. Amen. Because you can never 
be too obedient to God. And what we're talking about here is really just simple obedience. It's not anything extraordinary. Huh? If you tell your children, if you warn your children, uh, when they start getting a little bit older, they start driving. Uh, you know, sometimes you you have the kids, the lead foot ones, remember? You just get up off that gas. Now you're going to get a ticket. I'm warning you. And then, you know, one day you get a, a, a notice in the mail and you see all these tickets piled up. Well, Leadfoot didn't listen to you. Amen. So now he's paying the penalty for not surrendering to the law. Amen. And so there, there is a, a drawback to not surrendering. Sometimes that thing that you've been waiting on for so long is held up because God can't get it to you because your faith isn't at the level it needs to be because there's something jamming your faith up. See? There's something you're clinging to that that you need to let go of. Amen? Sometimes just to see what God's going to do if you do let go of it. Amen? Some things you let go of and he'll bring it back to you at a later season, and it's so much better than it was when you were trying to hold on to it. Well, anyway, I'm, you know, I'm not even going to threaten to go across the street. I'm just going to go get my coat and walk out the door. Chuck in here with a soul train line dancing around and you know what I'm talking about? Am I right, Poppy? What do you do? Come on now. Help me out, brothers. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Amen. Amen. But, but you know, it, it's just one of those things. That it, you just have to learn how to trust God. If you can say God he's, is good, he's good all the time. Whether you're holding and withholding things from him or whether you totally surrender to him, he's good all the time. He don't change his good depending upon what you're going through. Amen? He's still good. And so if if we want the best that God has for us, we're going to have to learn how to trust him and how to let go of our stuff. Amen? Let go of thoughts that hinder uh, little corners in our mind that we don't want him to come and sweep it out. He knows what you're thinking anyway. Amen? He know you're full of uh, skullduggery, shenanigans, mayhem, and foolishness. Amen? And he loves you anyway, but he wants you to cut that stuff out. Amen? He's, I was, uh, who was, oh, I was just talking to telling, telling, um, I think Pastor Shirley sent Becky out to look in the mailbox and she was, oh, you got everything. And I said, yeah, she grown. I said, no, she almost grown. She halfway grown. I take that back. She halfway grown. <laughs> You know, I'm never going to let nobody be grown as I am. Amen. <laughs> but but it's good to see see your kids growing up, you know, even your kids in the ministry growing up to be responsible and, and to uh, learn how to, to give and surrender to the Lord and, and uh, be obedient to God. All those things, you know, those are important things those are things that you you know you want to pat them on the back for you know what i'm saying i mean going to the mailbox and getting mail out might seem to be a small thing but when it's done unto the lord 
See? Depends on who they're doing it for. Amen. And, and so it, it's one of those things that you, you have to encourage yourself in. When you see yourself doing the things that God requires of you to do, and even going beyond that. Amen. It, it's a, it's a, a very, very powerful thing. Very powerful thing. So, uh, if you'll turn to John chapter 18, I'll show you an example. Praise God. John chapter 18, and this is uh, Jesus, we'll start in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where it was a garden, unto which he entered with his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oftentimes went there with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Who are you looking for, or whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which had betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I've told you that I'm he. And if therefore you seek me, let these others go their way. And that saying, that the saying might be fulfilled, which was spoken, of them which you gave me, I have lost none. <clears throat> Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and cut off the high priest's servant's ear. And the servant, um, servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword and your sheath for the cup which my father has given me. Shall I not drink it? And of course he healed the man's ear. It says that in a different account of this <clears throat> of um, a different account of this uh, situation. Now, Jesus had just prayed in the garden, and his last words from the Father was, Nevertheless, not thy will, my will, but thine be done. So the garden we always denote is the place of Jesus' total surrender to the Father. Throughout his ministry, he touched a lot of people, he preached a lot of things, he spoke a lot of things. But I have not found it, and, and other scholars have not found where anybody was slain in the spirit when Jesus spoke to him. Except here, this was the first time. And it came because of his total surrender. So any time, whatever you surrender to God, trust me, he gives you more. You are never weaker because you obey God. You're stronger. He never takes from you. He adds to you. Amen. But even the Lord Jesus Christ, who walked in total obedience to the Father, He had enough faith to do everything that God wanted him to do, had never reached this point of power until after 
he surrendered his total will to the Father. Amen. And so if you ask me, it's worth it. Not because people fall back, you know, and, and all of that. And that's good because it demonstrates the power of God. A lot of people don't know the power of God. They need to see it and they need to experience it. But there are many things that God wants to release to us that will grace us or empower us to do many of the things that we find so difficult doing. But if if we trust God, we'll understand that the total surrender is something <clears throat> that is necessary. So really, surrendering is not giving up, it's giving in. Amen. Surrender is not giving up. Say, for instance, if, if you've got people in your life you know are not Christian people, they're not right for you. You give them up, but you, you give in to God's will for you, but you're not giving up anything because God replaces them with himself, which is a thing that's missing. See, it's not like he's going to run out and give you a whole bunch of new friends and you, you know, come on now. You need the friend. See, once you get the friend and you experience life with the friend, well, anyhow. Turn to John. <clears throat> Amen. Turn to John 10. You'll scare yourself sometimes. You'll be so content in God. Say, so you mean to tell me I don't have no besties and no BFFs and, you know, all these Facebook, no more selfies on Facebook? Yeah, I said it. And yeah, I mean it. <laughs> John 10, it says here, let's go to 14, and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. In other words, he he wants to have a relationship with you that you walk with him hand in hand. You know him, he knows you. He knows what you need and makes provision for it ahead of time. So that if you keep in the steps he gives you, you walk right into your provision. I know. A lot of people don't. You don't think that's a good life. Well, keep living like you're living. Getting hysterical because, you know, you had to miss a day at work and you need that money real bad. You understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about walking into the provision and you don't ever miss a step. You don't even have time for hysterical. Amen. Amen. Just divorce that one because that's over when when you have this relationship with God. And don't wait until you get twice the age you are. Age has nothing to do with this. You can know God just as well as, as anybody else who's of greater age. Amen. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. And the Father knows me. And even as I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles. He says, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So we're we're in one covenant now, Jew and Gentile. He says, therefore does my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. 
So that's us. We lay it down, but we get to take it back up again. The same old, same old, oh no, this will be a greater and more powerful life. The one that you lay down is weak and feeble, too expensive. It costs too much trouble. So you lay down your troubles and your problems and your flesh and your I want to's and I never have enough of and I wish I had this and I'm one day I'm going to get this and you lay that down. The wishing and the hope and the uncertainty, the fear of failure, being scared to move forward, lay all that down. Huh? And look for God to give you something more powerful in exchange for it. So he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. The Father loves me because I do that. He says, I got more sheep to gather. In other words, not just y'all, but this thing is growing. Amen. He says, I'm getting increase already just for laying it down. He said, I got other people I got to bring into this kingdom. And he says, therefore, in verse 17, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take up a greater life again. He says, no man can take my life from me. I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my father. So Jesus was foretelling his death. He would lay down his life for the sheep. He says, I'm going to the cross for all of you that I might bring greater harvest to my father. He said, that's why the father's pleased with me. See, that's why God's pleased with us when we lay things down. Not because he just wants to strip us and see us with nothing and unhappy. And I can't do this and I can't do that. You get to do more fun stuff. Like you get to kick the devil's butt for a change instead of him chasing you around everywhere. I mean, to me, that's worth it. (laughs) So, so he, Jesus gave fully to the Father's will in the garden. When he spoke and those men fell down, he knew that God had, the Father had given him greater power and he didn't have to go with those men. He could have resisted him and went on his way. But he saw that the Father had made good on his promise to give him the power to lay down his life and the power to take it back up again. We have the power to be 100% obedient to God and then we have the power to be crazy. Amen. Take chances. Do a little bit of this. Try a little bit of that. All that kind of stuff. Let our minds go crazy. But but then we have the power to surrender to God again. And so God has given everybody that that uh, that will to do his will. But we can always violate that. Amen. So the Father's will for Jesus was that no man take his life, and but that he would lay it down. And so he demonstrated the powerlessness of humanity to overcome him and his will. So when the Romans tortured him, they did it because he surrendered to it. He could have resisted at any point. He could have. Because the Father gave him power to lay it down, put it back up, pick it back up, 
But in him leaving it surrendered, he got greater power in the end. He got power to overcome death, hell, and the grave. He got power to walk through the corridors of hell and strip Satan of all of his power and then give it to the church. So it was his will to do the greater thing. In your mind, when you surrender to God, you're surrendering to get the greater thing. You're not surrendering to be weak, feeble, and crazy, and without anything, and I can't do this, and I can't do That's old covenant. New covenant, whatever you lay down, whatever you surrender at the Father's command, it, it will add to your greatness and your empowerment in his kingdom. It will add to your grace in this life. Amen? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Jesus talks about the cup that he has to drink. Let me see, back to John 18, I think. Yeah, it says in verse 11, then Jesus said to Peter, he says, uh, put up your sword in your she- into your sheath. He said, the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Amen. And this is something that we as believers have to get used to. That God has poured, uh, um, when Jesus talked about sharing covenant meal with his disciples. And they would say, um, you know, who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to sit at your left? You know, this was a covenant that they were eager to participate of. And whenever Jesus would pass that cup, he would say, this is the blood of, of the new covenant. This is a cup of the New Testament in my blood. Drink all of it. So when we partake of salvation, we receive that cup. And he says, drink all of it. Well, I don't know. It's, you know, y'all, if you have any experience with wine or not. But wine, and especially uh, wine that they would make themselves, you know, they had their ways of purifying the wine. Uh, you know, when he turned the water into wine at the marriage supper of Cana, the governor of the feast, the one who was, he was, he was like the MC, like little Howard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we, we declare his lips will not touch wine in Jesus' name. <laughs> but, but he was, the governor was the, you know, he kind of was like the person that, you know, family elder, somebody like that who judged quality of things. They would always give him the first of everything and let him try it, so forth and so on. So they respected his opinion. And he said that, you know, everybody who puts out wine, you know, puts out the best first. And then if you're just a drunk and you're going to stay there and drink all night, you get what you get. But he said, but you have saved the best wine to last. In other words, he says, in, in, in the, in the act of pouring wine, there was always a sediment at the bottom. Nobody wanted it because it was bitter. It contained whatever impurities were left. If there were, uh, a wine is a mixture of, of hard grapes and 
and the uh, skins off the grapes and all that debris that's in there, no matter how many times you decant it, a decant means that you just let it settle, and then you kind of skim the top off, but everybody knows that if there's some sediment in there, it'll get in some of that at some point, just in pouring it out of there. And certainly when you got down to the last, you didn't even bring that out. And if somebody was still saying, ah, give me another you just gave him the dregs. You say, hey, go on, drink it if you want to. But we've had the best of it. We're leaving the worst in the bottom. Well, Jesus said, I have a life that I've spilled out and I poured out. And you're going to have to drink of the same cup I drink out of too. And there's going to be some stuff in the bottom of it you don't like. But you're going to have to drink that because that's what I've I've poured for you. So that's why in the New Covenant, he says, drink ye all of it. Amen. The same thing with the bread. Eat all of it. Amen. So his body then, his broken body, becomes life force to you. And that cup is your life poured out for him. So that you can experience everything that he wants you to experience. So we all know that we experience good and bad. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In other words, you'll have some stuff in this life that's not going to be pleasant for you. Amen. You'll have that if you're a sinner. You're not going to get any better deal if you go out there and live for the devil. In fact, you're going to get more unpleasant stuff. That's what brought us to Christ. Was he, If it was so good out there, how come we ain't still out there? Hey, you had enough sense to run for refuge, amen, so then have enough sense to stay in the fullness of it, amen, amen, amen. So, So Jesus gave himself fully to the will of the Father, amen. He expects the same thing for us, amen. So when we surrender totally, we get total power. It power to do what? The will of the Father. To drink of the whole cup. Amen. To learn that there will be difficult times as well as good times. Amen. In verse 12, it says what, what his surrender meant. It says, then the, the band and the captain of officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, who was a high priest that same year. And so Jesus then, by surrendering totally to the Father, was restricted in his own movements. See, the fact that he let them tie him up and lead him away demonstrated his total surrender. You can't live a life and say you're totally surrendered to God without some kind of restriction being put on you. See, that demonstrates that what you are saying is real and you mean it and you're not saying it, just saying it to please God. That you live a life that's restricted to what God wants you to do. Amen? And that alone. You can spend a lifetime playing around with nonsense and and foolishness and, and not getting anywhere in life 
and say that you're dedicated to God. Amen. But I think when God, God has you surrender your life to Him, you're going to find some doors that you used to be able to go through that you slam into. Amen. You get a broken nose trying to go through some of these doors. Amen. That you used to go through once you give your life totally over to the Lord. There has to be a difference. There has to be a binding up of your life into the life of God and in limitations that allow you to only do what God says that you're supposed to do. Now, if you look at that as boring and it just, you know, it'll change. Amen. It's going to get exciting real quick because I can tell you the hordes of hell will come after you to try to get you to loose yourself again. So, yeah, you're going to have plenty of fighting off to do just to live in that place of surrender to God. God, I don't want anything other than what you want for me. I don't want anything other than what you've ordained for me. And and then you've got to pursue God and start finding out what it is that you're waiting on. Because if you sit there and look crazy and bored, you're going to drive yourself crazy. So you got to get in hot pursuit of God. Amen. God, I, my dance card used to be full, but ain't nobody ringing my number no more. Amen. <laughs> Show me what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And in a hurry. Amen. So so you want those things that God wants for you. Amen. Second Corinthians 12.9 is an interesting uh, story. The Apostle Paul. We all want to do more in God. If you don't, you should. Amen. You're not just sitting here waiting on something. Listen, if you're still waiting on the, the job, the car, the maybe y'all just got to go to sleep. Just take a nap. All y'all job and car people. You either already got it, you know it ain't coming, or you're barking up the wrong tree. Can I say that? <laughs> Uh-huh. So Second Corinthians 12, uh, let me see, start in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Now that is not buffet. Y'all better get some glasses or buffet me. That means to fight against me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Amen. Now, Paul had received abundance of revelation. There's some, some people who live in that zone with God. They have to have certain things in their life to keep them dependent upon God. See, when God starts to open up the the understanding of the glory of God and things of that nature, uh, he knows what that does to a human soul. People start bragging. They start getting excited. I've seen it happen more often than I have seen people not. You know, look at all these people that, that lose their ministry, have to get it back again because they made a mistake. 
And you look at that mistake and you say, man, I couldn't have done that in a million years. How could they be so retarded? Well, if you don't say it, I do. Huh? I'll own it. Because you do look at stuff like that, you know, as, come on now. How could you like that? God's taken you to heaven several times. You understand what I'm saying? He's shown you these things. And Paul said, lest I should be exalted, exalt myself above measure. God gave me this thing that I have to fight all the time. It's not something that's going to kill you. It's not something that's going to keep you from having a, a good life. But it's just something to remind you that you're still flesh and you're still blood. You still got to go to God for protection. You still got to go to God for direction, for wisdom, all that kind of stuff. It keeps you dependent upon God. And many people try to guess what that was. He never says what it is. But they try to guess what it is. But if you read what happened to Paul's life, it ain't hard to figure out. I mean, he got beaten in every city he went to. So there's the messenger from Satan lying on him everywhere he goes and accusing him of trying to overthrow Caesar, trying to tear down the temple, doing this, doing that. So this messenger from Satan continued to buffet him, that is, struggle with him everywhere he went. And he said he asked the Lord several times, take this thing away. How come I can't go into a city without every devil in hell coming and chasing me? How come I'm the one who's got to wind up in jail all the How come I got to be beaten with 39 stripes? You know, the Jewish law did not allow them to give them more than 39. The, the reason for that, the 39 was what the law required. If you went beyond that, that was you trying to punish that person. You got me? Mom and dad, that's why you don't beat your kids when you're real mad. Because there's too much of you in that. You're just trying to discipline them to keep them inside the law. You're not trying to humiliate them. So the 40th 40th stripe was always human humiliation trying to come upon another human. When you humiliate a person in disciplining them, it's not discipline anymore. They won't learn from that. But the when Jesus went to the cross, it was not the Jews who were handing out the stripes. It was the Romans. That's why the Bible says he was despised and rejected of men. See, the the Romans added to the to what the legal beating should have been for Jesus. If the Jews brought him before Pilate, it was because the Jews accused him according to the Jews' law. But when they handed him over to the Romans, the Jews weren't allowed to mete out punishment anymore. They had to be handed over to the world, to the Romans. And so Jesus endured the despite of the world, the humiliation, the ridicule. Under Jewish law, he never should have been subject to that. But that's why he can be the savior of the whole world. Because he took the punishment the world puts on its people 
and the punishment that the law puts on him for, for uh, if, if they found him guilty of violating the Jewish law. So he's redeemed two worlds of people. He's redeemed the Gentile and the Jew through his suffering. And see, that's something he had to trust the Father through. That whatever he endured, it wouldn't go beyond what the Father commanded. That if he, he knew that the Father was in charge of his punishment, not the Romans. That's why he endured it. Amen? And the Bible says he despised the shame. Jews despise shame. That's part of their religion. That's part of their culture. You will never, God would never put you to shame. If you break the law, you take your just punishment, but you're not humiliated and you're not put to shame. Amen? But he was put to shame. So that when people humiliate you and shame you, go behind your back and talk about you. Say they're your friends and, and start gossip trains about you. When that happens and you're humiliated, you can go to him and he takes all that pain away. Amen. He takes all of it away. So he suffered that and he endured that so we could be shameless, guiltless, spotless. We could get forgiven and, and, and live in a realm that says we never sinned. It's wonderful. So he says, he sought the Lord, verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord three times that he might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Oh, you mean I don't have to feel like the top of the mountain in order to be successful? Remember the last job you went and applied for? You felt like a wet noodle going into to a scalding pot of water and you already boiled to death? And they told you, you're the best applicant we've seen in a long time. We wish we had more like you. Well, his strength was made perfect in your weakness. See, you went in there with no boast. No brag. Huh? Wanted to turn around a couple times. Wanted not to send the application in. Whatever it is, you did all of that. Huh? Or you might have boasted in front of your buddies and then collapsed when you got home. <laughs> Inside the door. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So, so he, he, our strength, his strength, I'm sorry, is made perfect in our weakness. So you got to lay down your little plots, plans, schemes. God don't need them, won't honor them. You'll never be able to say you made yourself rich. You're going to have to say God did it in spite of me. The little help I did give him, amen. When I did help him, I messed up and he didn't hold it against me. <laughs> amen. Psalm 18, I was looking at this and I thought, God, that's going to be a good scripture for me this year. It's it's a, a help to me. In surrendering, you have to wait on, on the power of God to come through for you. And sometimes that can be a little challenging because we all think we can do this, do that, and do the other. 
But in Psalm 18 and verse 28, I thought this was good. He says, for you will light my candle. Amen. Wait for God to light your candle. You know, the, the Bible says the, the spirit of man is the candle of God. Let him enlighten your spirit. Wait for him to show you which way to go. Wait for him to tell you what to do. Wait for him. He says, you will light my candle. Amen. The Lord will enlighten my darkness. I mean, if you depend on him, you'll never stumble. Amen. If you do, it won't be for lack of light. It might be for you just went on in the darkness on your own. But if you allow him to light your candle, amen, and then you won't have any darkness in your life. You won't have anything to ensnare you, anything to entrap you, anything to try and hold you hostage. Amen. So, So Jesus then was able to wait on the Father to light his way. Amen. He he just had to wait on the Father to light his way. And that's that's a good place to be. You don't have to be on edge and wondering, you know. <laughs> you can go at God's pace. God provides your purpose and your work when you let him light your way. And you go at his pace. We have to wait for him to provide the light. We cannot take off on our own. You need to realize when Jesus went through the, the, after he was arrested, he had no man to help him. All the disciples left him. Uh, Peter denied him. Amen. Just as Jesus had prophesied. And he took one painful step after another in order to obey the Father's will. Sometimes you'll wonder, when is my turn coming? When am I gonna when am I? That's that's the big quest for everybody. When is it going to be my turn to do what? Huh? <laughs> God ain't in your cutting up and your acting up and showing everybody and getting your haters all straightened out. Oh, when I get my big blessing, my haters going to faint. You going to faint first. Amen. <laughs> But the Bible says that there was a joy, a future joy, that Jesus was making the sacrifice for. Amen. So he could see up ahead as he walked through the torture, as he walked through the humiliation, he had a vision up ahead of a joy that was set before him. So there's always a joy ahead that you're walking toward when you surrender to God. The Bible says he endured the cross and despised the shame. And then at the end of it, he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And he had paid the price for you and for me, which was his goal. So he met his goal. He accomplished his goal. But it was through the total surrender, the total uh, trust of the Father. But know that you know that at any time he could have taken his life back up again. Amen. He always had that power, but he has surrendered it to the Father. Same thing with you and me. We can pick up nonsense again. We can pick up going our own way. 
listening to the devil, being angry at people, all that kind of stuff. We can pick that up again. But it's best to let it lay. Let it lay there. Amen. Many times the life that you live live for God may look strange or odd to other people. Amen. It may look like you're not having a lot of fun. You're not doing a lot of the things that everybody does and, and all that kind of stuff. Amen. But in the end, God will, will vindicate you. He will begin to show. In fact, he'll move you away from people who criticize and ridicule you. He'll put you in a better company. Amen. He'll put you in a company of holy people. Amen. Amen. I do too. I do too, sister. Amen. You need to know that everybody can have, all believers can have the same level of power that Jesus had. Amen. And and we can all walk in power with God so that our lives can be meaningful. Amen. Um, as a believer, your life is more, I would say, is is less, um, oh, how would you want to say, less fulfilled and less fulfilling, the less you have of God in it. See, the less you surrender to God, the less fulfilled your life is. And see, we think just the opposite. We think we're waiting on something to come into our lives to make us happy. He's already there. You just need to surrender totally to him. See, you need to get the fullness of the thing that you're already in before you can look for something else different to come. Amen. I, you know, I would, uh, when I'm one of those people, I just like food. As you can tell. Amen. It's no secret. <laughs> but, uh, and I've always liked food. I've always enjoyed it. I always like really well cooked food. So that makes me, uh, a bone chewer. Huh? Anything I eat with a bone in it, and I don't buy chicken strips, y'all. I don't. <laughs> to say nothing of nuggets. I said, well, what part of the chicken does the nugget come from? <laughs> y'all people say stuff like, uh, um, uh, people say stuff like, I don't eat chicken necks. You eat nuggets? You'll be doing good if there's any neck in that nugget. But anyway, but I digress. But even now sometimes I'll look at what people leave on their plate. And I say, you mean you left all of that? Especially if it's chicken or something like that. I said, you mean you left that little wingy tip thing there? That's the best part of the chicken. Huh? Well, that's why I feel about believers who haven't surrendered totally to God. You've been picking around here in the scraps from the Father's table. You need to sit up there at the table and try that part that you haven't eaten before. I'm, I'm serious. 
you know, you see people eat the, or a rib. And see, I have a, a special gear I put my mouth on called vacuum. Well, I sit up and I suck them ribs and I put it on vacuum. Get a turbo on that bad boy. Huh? People wonder how I can, he chew that gristle? Yep. To a fine powder. Huh? <laughs> I believe God to keep all my bones. That includes my teeth every day. Yep. <laughs> but see, there are some things in our covenant with God we haven't experienced yet. And we're scared to try it. I don't know why. We're afraid of total surrender. It just don't sound right. Surrender to what? Why? Huh? What are you going to do? He he done everything and I ain't got this and I ain't got that. Well, maybe you surrendered a little bit you ain't got. You might get something. Catherine Kuhlman, you know, talking about people who lived a life of total surrender. Catherine Kuhlman was, um, she had a kind of unique upbringing. She was um, one of three children. She was the youngest of three children. And her father was a very successful business person. And it was known that he spoiled her. The mother and father kind of, they got along but didn't. They had different philosophies and all this kind of stuff, child rearing. The dad didn't go to church much. The mother was a Methodist. And the mother was very strict in disciplining Catherine like most people were during those times. Back in the day, you didn't, your kids didn't budge unless you gave them permission to. And she was kind of a mischievous kind of person. Her father indulged her. And so she kind of grew up with not a whole lot of discipline in her life. But she had an experience when she was like 13 at her mother's Methodist church service where she felt the power of the Holy Spirit convict her of her sin. And she went up to the altar and they say she cried for at least a half hour. And she prayed it. During those times, they would have ministers that would come and sit when people wanted to come to the altar to surrender to God, and they would pray with you. And she gave her life to the Lord. And she said that was an experience she never forgot. She always kept that experience in her mind, even though she didn't learn a lot to add to it. Until she became an adult, she had an older sister, and her sister was married to an evangelist. His name was Parrot. And in fact, I think that might have been her second. Do you know if that was her sister's second husband? But Myrtle was her sister's name. But she, uh, she, um, and, and so Myrtle kind of shielded Catherine. She was about six years older than she was. She was old enough to be an adult while Catherine was still a teenager. And, uh, she, in, in her shielding her from her mother, in her mother's harsh discipline, she was able to take Catherine with her, and she was a young married woman in a marriage that she didn't like very much because she didn't under she she too didn't understand the discipline of a Christian life. Her husband was a minister, and there were certain things that he would have to 
have steady in his life in order for them to be able to survive. He, his name was Parrot. He had a, uh, at first an evangelistic ministry. They couldn't go into churches and preach very much because the churches were always quizzing you. What do you teach? What do you preach? Do you teach this? Do you preach that? And, and, and he felt too restricted. So that made the life of a minister look kind of hard to them. But he was totally surrendered to the Lord. And he, and his wife Myrtle played the piano, which she didn't like very much. So imagine you being a minister having to live a holy life and you got a semi-rebellious wife and her younger rebellious sister. But Catherine made up her mind that if this was God's way to get her away from her mother, and out of the house, she would do the best she could with it. And so she helped them out quite a bit. And through through the years, Brother Parrott's ministry grew. And his was the ministry that Catherine later developed. See, not many people had people getting slain in the spirit when they would pray for them in those meetings. But Brother Parrott lived such a disciplined life and a, a life given over to God, that God gave him that power in exchange for his total surrender. And so Catherine, being in that household, began to pick that up from living with them. Because she would say things like, well, I told them I would help with the laundry. So she did all the laundry. She ironed all the shirts. She made up her mind she probably didn't want to be married because she didn't want to iron shirts for somebody. (laughs) You know, just... But little by little, God began to work on her and show her what a life of total surrender would be like. Brother Parrott then went on to have a great healing ministry. Uh, he went on to do many, many things in God. But that anointing, because she lived in the discipline of that household, and she worked with them in the ministry, she began to get acquainted with the Holy Spirit and saw him do things in that ministry that, put a taste in her, a familiarity, something in that was like home to her. When she got a little bit older, there was a a man, uh, she called him, I know she called him Mr., I don't know what his last name was, but uh, anyway, he was married. And she met him while he was married, and then he left his wife and family and started a relationship with her, and they got married. And it was a, a train wreck. She she confided to friends that she never felt peace from God about marrying this man. And so as she struggled through, I think they were married about eight years or so, never had children. She struggled through a marriage with him. And I think he wound up leaving her. He kind of read the writing on the wall and uh, But anyway, they wound up divorced. And she said she walked down a, a very dark street one night, and she began to weep before God. And she told him, she said, I have made a mess of my life. She said, I feel worthless. She said, but if you can use somebody like me, then just use me. Amen. So that was her walk of total surrender. Now, she had been involved in ministry before then. Uh, and, and see, this is a thing that, that you got to understand about surrendering. Just because God uses you to do some things, that doesn't make everything about you right. You understand what I'm saying? Don't get excited 
because he, you know, you can pray for some people and you got, and we get wonderful praise reports from your prayers for people. You understand what I'm saying? People get healed. God heals them through your prayers. When we go out and witness the street, witness to people, God leads, you lead them to the Lord because of your faith in God's ability to do these things. But that doesn't mean that we're, our lives are perfect before God or that he couldn't do more if we let go of more. And so when, when she began to, to come to herself and, and, and let God deal with her, he began to show her little bit by little bit how he could use her still in the ministry. Most of her struggle was in forgiving herself for the life that she had led after knowing the Lord. See, these are hard things to get over for, from people, you know. Uh, sometimes your mistakes are public, sometimes they're private. But mistakes are mistakes, and they do have to be overcome. See, God wants to bring us into a, a greater understanding of who he is. And he's not there to take away. He's there to give. He is not there to restrict you, to punish you. He wants you to have a full life when you've never dreamed of before. Because many of us, it's, a, it's amazing to me how we'll strike out on our own to get the same thing God's promised us. And never ask him to lead us to what he has for us because we don't trust we can have it. We're more willing to trust ourselves to get a bootleg than we want to trust him to get the real thing. See, it's that worthlessness that comes in us sometimes. We, we can't hear, have it because we, you know, well, nah, you know, I, if, if I ask God, it's going to take, it's going to take too long. That's the main lie the devil tells us. Where when most of the times Jesus healed people, the Bible says immediately he did this. Suddenly it came upon them. At that very hour, they began to amend. You see what I'm saying? God is so eager to release his best to us, but he can't get one more car in your crowded garage. You understand what I'm saying? You can't get one more can of peas in your crowded cupboard. Amen. You're going to have to let some of that go so that God can come in and, and sweep clean and bring fulfillment and contentment into your life. And so Catherine Kuhlman got the ministry that we all know her for after total surrender. See, before then, she was a good sister-in-law. She was a good assistant in the ministry. All of that, but the fullness of it never came upon her because she still had this thing in her heart where she wanted to rebel against man and, and strike out on her own and all of this stuff. And God had to bring her totally to her knees where she knew that she had to get rid of this man who never should have been in her life. Amen? I don't care what she called him. And he was a minister too. She was always running around with ministers. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes that will cost you your life if you if you fool around too long. So I think she knew she couldn't put that off any longer. But she did have the sense to know that God had given her some wonderful opportunities. And she didn't want all of that to go to waste. And that's why she lived the life she lived. Where she would, she cried a lot when she ministered. You know, if you ever see her preach, it, she comes to tears very easily 
where she pours out her heart to people. And, and she'll, she'll beg people not to grieve God. She, you know, that kind of preaching. And that really touches and moves people. Because God will take your wounds, take your disappointments, take your discouragements, he'll take and use it for his glory. Amen? He just has a way of doing those things that that we can be moved beyond who we are, little hard shell we put up in the natural. You know what I'm saying? Our little bragging that we do here and there. We get that ain't nothing to God. He'll put his finger on you one time and push your button and you you melt like snow on a hot stove. You know what I'm saying? It's he wants the real us to come through. Amen. I'm not saying everybody can need to cry all the time or you're a big crybaby, but if the cry is on you, you understand what I'm saying? Then let it flow because that's part of God's ministry uh, to other people. The brokenness that you, you endure, it's, it, it'll be a lifeline or an open door to a lifeline to somebody else. Amen. So even though she was married and, and had a ministry with her husband, she realized her emptiness and needed to be filled with nobody but God in order to feel whole and useful again. And and that's my prayer, that we would all come to that place of emptiness without him. Amen? And say, God, you know, whatever it is, I mean, I'm letting this go. I don't want anybody but you. Amen? Because that's the best prayer you could ever pray. Amen? Now, I know we've all prayed that. We mean it more on some days than we do others. No, when the bills are due, <laughs> we mean it a whole lot then, amen? We mean a whole lot. But there are times when 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 we just are in that place where we should be content and we're not. And we know something's amiss. <laughs> so it's in those times. That's, that's when you talk to God about surrender. God, whatever it is, I'm, I'm putting it aside now. And I, I want more of you. I just want what you want for me. Nothing more, nothing less. So she, at one point, she was probably most powerful minister on the face of the earth. Men, women included. Amen. Nobody topped her. Because surrender restored her usefulness, her dignity, and her purpose. Where her life had been shattered far beyond what uh, she could endure. He gave her far beyond whatever she could ask or think. Amen. Lillian Yeomans was another uh, woman minister. She was a physician. Her mother, her parents both were doctors. I know her mother was. I think her father was too. She went to um, college in Ann Arbor, though she was Canadian. And she graduated from the medical school um, over there. And she got... um overwhelmed with the work of being a physician and she started medicating herself with morphine and at one point a nurse that had worked with her in the hospital said uh, she looked like a skeleton with a drug habit amen she was emaciated lost her hair almost lost her mind a lot of things happened to her and she said that she was about to give up on life she's one more shot of morphine and add some to it, she would have been out of here. But she said a friend began to pray for her 
and took her to a healing meeting. Amen. And she got saved. I think it was Dr. Price's meeting. Not Fred Price, but there's another Price back at the turn of the century. And, and uh, she, she went to his meeting and she was saved and she was healed. And after that, she never sought to get her doctor's license back. Which is a, a healthy person would have gotten her a lot of money, a lot of fame, a lot of everything. But she surrendered that to God. Why pick up, amen, amen, why pick up the snake that bit you and almost killed you? So she saw that as something, God, I'm surrendering, I'm letting that go. And wherever your word takes me. She, uh, she was one of the, the stronger forces in, uh, Amy Simple McPherson's ministry. She taught healing school. That's where that concept first came from. She taught the healing school during the daytime. See, Amy was in the spotlight. She was a powerful woman, but it was because people would get, their faith would get built during the daytime in the healing school. And then Amy would pray for them at night. Amen. And you couldn't get up there and get a card to get prayed for unless you had been to the healing school meetings. Amen. So I was thinking about it. I said, well, God, I said, I thank you. I thought about it. I said, what? <laughs> That's the way you're supposed to do this, right? We ain't been doing it. But you see, prophetic can give you a little bit of more of an edge sometimes. Different, different anointings. They, there were no prophets there, uh, you know, very much to speak of. But prophetic anointing can give you somewhat of an edge where, like Tony said, you can gangster healing on somebody. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, Branham had it. Jack Coe had it. You know, they were very, very prophetic people. They had that prophetic edge where they could glimpse in and see, ooh, it's right here. Let me get it for them. And so, but, but you know, there's no criticism on anybody. It's just how these gifts work sometimes. But, but Lillian Yeomans wrote maybe four books. Maybe more than that, a few more, but just very few. But she had such an impact. She began to take people who were terminally ill, bleeding, coughing blood with tuberculosis, into her house and give them one scripture to repeat for three days. At the end of three days, she seldom lost anybody. If, if they couldn't repeat it, she would read it to them. She and her sister would read to them for hours. Because she knew the word worked. Amen. At some point that word would click in on them. And they would. But see she totally surrendered. She never looked back at being a doctor anymore. Even though they called her doctor. She never looked back on being a doctor anymore. Amen. Because she gave everything to God. Nothing she wants. She wouldn't think it. Uh, I don't want that anymore. I'm on the road with God. You know. What do you need from God? Lester Summerall says she was the only woman he was ever afraid of. Amen. He, he met her, uh, right, over at, uh, I think at Angela's Temple at Amy's church, or he might have met her somewhere through friends or something. But she said, come here, Brother Summerall, I'm going to pray for you. He said, she laid hands on me and I was out for hours. Amen. She said, be blessed. <laughs> you know, it was, he got up changed. He knew he was blessed after she laid hands on him. Amen. And so these things come at a price, but oh boy. But you've got to value eternity 
over where you live here and now. So you've got to value eternal things because you have eternity in you. Sometimes people are suffering because they think it's something missing from the natural realm and what you're missing is you're connecting the spirit. See, you connect with God first and all these things get added after you get God and get the fullness of him. See, we're looking to add things to an empty life. You add emptiness to emptiness and you get more emptiness. You're just overburdened with more emptiness. Amen? And then you live for the day when that empty season is over so you can finally start to live again. Well, God doesn't want us to live like that. He wants us to live in the fullness of his blessing here and now. But the price is total surrender. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for understanding. Thank you, Lord, that the surrender comes when we relinquish what you tell us is hindering our walk with you. Or you tell us the things that we could improve upon that we've already surrendered, that we keep our eye on them so that they don't creep up and start to take over our lives again. So, Lord, I thank you for the life of surrender. I thank you, Lord, to teach us how to give over more so that we can receive the more from you. So, Lord, I just thank you for that. I bless you and I praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. So why don't we do our confession? I don't have Rona and she don't have me. I can't get Rona (laughs) and she can't get me. Hallelujah. (laughs) And I thank you, Lord. That by the stripes of your son, Jesus, I am healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God.